0: This is Jennifer Gonzalez welcoming you to episode 114 of the Cult of Pedagogy podcast. In this episode, we're going to do a little makeover of the language we use in our classrooms. Consider two classrooms, room one and room two. The students in both rooms are working in groups on an activity, and in each room, one of the groups has gotten off-task. In room one, the teacher approaches the group and says to them, get back to work or you'll be staying in for recess. In room two, the teacher approaches the off-task group and says, this is not like you. What's the problem? And then, after students explain the problem, follows up with, okay, how do we solve that? In both cases, the teacher addresses the off-task behavior, but the language each one uses is completely different. The first teacher is threatening a consequence, sending the message that the activity's only real value is avoiding punishment. By contrast, the second teacher affirms students' identities as kids who would normally behave pretty well, then follows that by inviting them to solve their own problems. It's possible that both teachers will get the same result from this interaction, and the students in both rooms will get back on task. But the second teacher is likely to get much more than that, shaping students' self-perception as good kids and problem solvers, sending the message that their classroom is a respectful place, and fostering a climate where students actively participate in their learning, rather than simply complying with a teacher's demands. And if the teacher in Room 2 is consistently crafting language to send these positive, empowering messages, that impact increases exponentially. When we look at ways to improve our teaching, we tend to give a lot of attention to the macro-level stuff. Curriculum development, teaching strategies, classroom design, relationship building, There are so many big things to pay attention to. It's no wonder we spend very little time on small details, like how we ask students to get back to work. But to truly master this craft, a craft that requires us to talk constantly, we need to cultivate our ability to shape language to achieve a desired effect. Two books that can help with that process are Peter Johnston's Choice Words, How Our Language Affects Children's Learning, and Adele Faber and Elaine Maslish's How to Talk So Kids Can Learn, which was actually the very first book I ever reviewed on my site in 2013. Both books take a thoughtful look at many of the things teachers say during typical classroom interactions and show us how to reshape these words for more positive and powerful impact. Doing a true language overhaul would require a long, sustained effort, So what I'd like to do here is give you a quick start, a mini makeover of four common classroom scenarios where a small change in language can send a completely different message. After each scenario, I'll offer a question for reflection to help you transfer each concept to your own day-to-day teaching. Before we get started, I'd like to thank ListenWise for sponsoring this episode. ListenWise is an online listening curriculum featuring curated podcasts from NPR, Explore engaging and relevant nonfiction audio stories aligned with ELA, social studies, and science curriculum for middle and high school students. With ListenWise Premium, you also get classroom-ready lessons with built-in literacy supports and automatically scored comprehension quizzes, which track student progress on skills such as identifying the main idea, inferencing, and point of view. To learn more about ListenWise, go to listenwise.com. Support for this episode also comes from Newseum Ed. February is Black History Month, and NewseumEd.org can help you make this month-long observance relevant in your classroom. Read Martin Luther King Jr.'s Letter from Birmingham Jail. Watch a video on the press and the civil rights movement. Explore a timeline of major events in the fight for racial equality compare and contrast how newspapers around the country covered major civil rights milestones, such as Brown v. Board of Education or the Little Rock Nine. Find all of this and more on NewseumEd.org, a free website with quality resources dedicated to increasing understanding of the First Amendment and sharpening media literacy skills essential to civic life. That's NewseumEd.org, news as in N-E-W-S-E-U-M-E-D.org i would also like to thank you for the reviews you've left for this podcast on itunes i absolutely love reading these reviews and they really help bring in new listeners if you've never left a review i would love it if you would take a few minutes head over to itunes and tell me what you think thank you so much the cult of pedagogy podcast is part of the education podcast network the epn family now includes 27 different podcasts and each one is focused on education One you might want to check out is the Spark Creativity Teacher Podcast. Hosted by Betsy Potash, this podcast offers creative and practical teaching strategies for English teachers. And if you're not tired of listening to me talk yet, you might want to download episode 57 of the Spark Creativity Podcast because I'm Betsy's guest in that one. Check out all of the EPN podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Now, let's take a look at four things that well-chosen words can do in the classroom. The first thing is they can shape student identity. The words we choose can suggest things to students about their own skills, talents, interests, and character traits, helping them see themselves in new roles. So here is a scenario, for example. You're conferencing with a student about a piece of her writing. She's used dialogue in a few places, but it's a bit flat. So, instead of saying, your next step would be to revise some of the dialogue to make it sound more realistic, you could try saying this, I wonder if, as a writer, you're ready for more advanced dialogue techniques. Now while the first option is a perfectly fine way to suggest further revision, The second option sets up the same task as an opportunity for growth and invites the student to see herself as a writer rather than just a student completing an assignment. Notice that the teacher in the second option doesn't try to convince the student that she is a writer. That's simply assumed in the language used. So here's a question for reflection. What messages do your words send to students about their identities? Can you tweak those words to help students see themselves in a more expansive light? The second thing that well-chosen words can do in the classroom is boost academic safety. In many classrooms, students feel hesitant to ask questions or take risks for fear of looking stupid. Choosing the right words when we invite student questions and respond to student ideas sends the message that learning is a messy process and that the classroom is a place where we can safely engage in that. So here's one scenario, and I actually have two for this one. You've just given directions for an assignment and you're about to release students to begin doing the work. Instead of saying, do you have any questions? Try this. What questions do you have? We hear the first option all the time. It's a perfectly reasonable way to solicit questions after presenting information. The problem is, it often gets nothing as a response. That may be because it implies a yes or no answer, that it's possible that no one has any questions. Many students have learned through experience that it's safer not to ask anything. By making a small shift in the way you phrase the question in the second option, You communicate the idea that questions are a natural part of the process and now is the time to ask them. Now here's another scenario to illustrate how your words can boost the academic safety in your room. During a class discussion, a student makes a comment that's slightly off topic or takes things in a direction you weren't planning to go. Instead of saying, that's not what we're focusing on right now, let's stick to the topic, try this. That's an interesting idea. I'll have to think about it some more. While the first option makes the student feel a little embarrassed, the second shows that the teacher values the student's contribution. And rather than treating the comment as off-topic, the second option actually holds it up as interesting and worth further reflection. The student comes away from that interaction thinking of him or herself as someone with unique ideas. So here's a question for Reflection. When you invite questions or respond to comments, are you sending a message that all ideas are welcome? Or are you communicating to students that only certain contributions are acceptable? The third thing that well-chosen words can do in the classroom is build student agency. If our goal is to help students become more self-directed learners, we need to build their sense of agency, the belief that they are capable of making their own decisions. So here's a scenario. You've had students working in groups on a task that took most of a class period. Although some groups followed directions and worked well together, some fooled around and ran out of time and others got stuck because they disagreed on how to complete the assignment. At the end of class, you have everyone go back to their seats for a debriefing. You're frustrated by how things went and you want things to go better next time. Instead of saying, some groups did very well today but I was very disappointed by what I saw in other groups. Tomorrow I need to see a big improvement. You can try this instead. What problems did you come across today? And then, how did you solve them? And then, what will you do differently tomorrow? The first option prioritizes the teacher's feelings over the learning process, and it communicates the belief that working as a group should be easy. Any problems that occurred were simply due to bad behavior. By contrast, the second option sends a message that problems are a normal part of learning, especially in groups, and that students are capable of solving those problems. By inviting students to consider ways they can troubleshoot, the teacher not only gives them the time and space to find creative solutions, but also increases their sense of agency over their own challenges. Here's a question for reflection. When you talk to students, what message do you send about who is in control of the learning? The fourth thing that well-chosen words can do in the classroom is invite self-discipline and prevent escalation. Dealing with off-task or disruptive behavior is a normal part of teaching, but how we respond to it makes all the difference. Here's a scenario. While your class is doing some silent reading, you hear a commotion from down the hall peeking out you see a group of boys sitting outside a classroom a few doors down they appear to be working on some kind of project but they are also pretty loud and they look like they may be goofing around a little instead of saying boys stop making all that noise if you can't work quietly I'm gonna have to ask your teacher to bring you back inside you could try this boys you can be heard clear down the hall In the first version, students are given a directive, then threatened with a consequence if they don't comply. The exclamation points also suggest that these lines are delivered with some anger. This type of response is not at all unusual, but it's not the most effective way to handle a problem like this. Making all that noise sounds like they're just out there having a party with no regard for anyone else's needs. And the threat suggests that the only reason they would quiet down is to avoid punishment. In the second version, the teacher simply gives information. This neutral response takes the emotion out of the situation and positions the boys as people who would normally not want to cause problems, especially if the line is delivered in a calm, neutral tone. Its message is, we're all trying to learn here and I'm sure you wouldn't want to make that hard for others. Handling things this way rather than with a more confrontational style has the added benefit of preventing the situation from escalating into an even larger discipline problem because the students will have no reason to argue back or get defensive. Here's a question for reflection. When you redirect students, what else are you communicating? Are you sending a message that students are misbehaving on purpose, that they are bad kids, or that they feel no innate sense of personal responsibility? If so, how can you change your phrasing to convey a higher regard for student intentions? So these examples are a good start, but old habits are hard to break. If your goal is deeper, more sustained change in your language choices, you'll need a long-term plan. So I have a few suggestions for a more long-term type of a study of your language. The first one is to form a study group. In this little session, I have only scratched the surface of all the ways you can refine your language in the classroom. By reading choice words or how to talk so kids can learn, or better yet, both, you'll get a much more thorough examination of your language and many more options for how to revise it. So I would suggest that you find a group of teachers to take it on and meet on a regular basis to discuss what you're learning. If you don't have time to meet in person, try an app like Voxer to have an ongoing group discussion right on your phone. Another way that you could tackle this as a project would be to keep a list. As you start to find new ways to phrase things, write them down to remind yourself and then revisit the list regularly. Another idea would be to do language spotlights. If you're working on this project as a staff, you could dedicate three minutes of every faculty meeting to sharing a single language makeover that teachers can try in the upcoming weeks. And even to lighten that load, teachers could take turns being the one who brings a spotlight to share. Finally, a great tool for studying your own use of language is video. Few tools are more powerful than video for finding ways to improve your teaching. If you really wanna find places where your word choice can be improved, record yourself teaching and then watch with a focus on language. Fine tuning your classroom talk isn't something that happens overnight. And once you've begun the process, you'll probably never feel done. But just being aware of the impact is a huge first step. And with every small tweak you make, you'll get closer to true mastery and more satisfying, powerful teaching. For a written version of this episode, including links to both books, visit cultpedagogy.com, click podcast, and choose episode 114. To get a weekly email from me about my newest blog posts, podcast episodes, and products, sign up for my mailing list at cultofpedagogy.com slash subscribe. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day.